Welcome, flower friends, to the Local Flowers Podcast, where you'll fall in love with local seasonal blooms even more by hearing the stories from flower farmers new and experienced. I'm your host, Rochelle, from Freckled Bloom Flower Farm. Welcome. Hey, friends. On this week's Flower Farmer Chat, I have the privilege to introduce you to Chelsea. She is a first-year flower farmer. Her flower farm is called Green Valley Flower Farm, but you can find her on Instagram or Facebook. Facebook via Prairie Through the Lens and on her page she shares not only her journey with flowers but she's also a photographer and she lives on a Nebraska cattle ranch. So I just encourage you to jump over to her Instagram or Facebook and check her out and I can't wait for you to hear our chat. Welcome friends to another Flower Farmer Chat. On this week's episode I've got Chelsea from Green Valley Flower Farm. Welcome Chelsea to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Very excited. Absolutely. Well, she is in Nebraska, my first Nebraskan. I'm super excited to extend my footprint across the United States and welcome Chelsea to the podcast. How about we start with your journey to flowers and more about yourself? Yeah, so I live in western Nebraska, which is in the panhandle of Nebraska. And like a lot of states, it should be cut in half because western Nebraska is like completely completely different than Eastern Nebraska. In fact, you should interview a flower farmer from Eastern Nebraska because it's going to be totally different than what I'm going to say. But um, I actually grew up in the Pacific Northwest in Northern Idaho, met my Nebraska rancher husband and then moved to Western Nebraska. And we have a large cattle ranch and um, three kids. So I'm very busy with that. I probably shouldn't be doing all these other things, but yeah. So we're in technically right on the line of zone 4B and 5A, I think it is, but I garden for um, 4B because most of the time it is. But I just, I haven't really been like much of a gardener or like this was actually my very first year. And I had very great luck. So um, I did have a very large like vegetable garden last year. So that was pretty much my first experience with growing a lot of things. Um, You know, I grew random things in pots and stuff, but like I went all out last year, just the state of the world and everything. I was like, I probably should grow stuff. (laughs) So, you know, I grew all the tomatoes, cucumbers, all that thing, all that stuff. But I really wanted to grow potatoes, not because I'm from Idaho, but because we love potatoes. My mother-in-law, she like, well, you can't grow potatoes here because you're going to get potato beetles and they're going to infest your garden and, you know, you're going to have problems. And I'm like, well, but that's what we eat. Like, I want to grow those. So I thought, well, if I grow potatoes on like the farthest south side of my garden and have like maybe like three rows of flowers and then grow everything else on the north side, like the flowers will kind of act as like a buffer of some kind. So if I get potato beetles, maybe they'll demolish the flowers, but everything else in my garden will be okay. So I grew things like, you know, just the typical like zinnias, cosmos, a few dahlia tubers I picked up at the grocery store. I didn't even know what dahlias were. (laughs) And um, like random things, straw flower, I ended up absolutely falling in love with just my three rows of flowers. And I would make bouquets for my family and just for myself. And so then I kind of like instantly was like, I'm going to grow a lot more flowers next year. (laughs) So my vegetable garden kind of quickly converted into most Mostly a flower garden this year. All winter, I just dreamed and planned. I watched the first season of Flore 
Death, which if anybody has watched that, I'm sure that has really been a huge impact on a lot of people. Me especially, I just was very moved by that the first season. And and just the thought of like growing stuff that a lot of people don't grow in this area. You know, Zone 4B is pretty hard and we're in the sand hills and you just have like prairie grass. So, so those flowers that I grew that first year, I was just like, this is so pretty. So yeah, all winter I was like, what am I going to grow? I'm going to go all out. You know, I didn't have like any subscriptions planned or anything, but I was like, well, I'll just test the waters, you know, I'll maybe sell some bouquets here or there. And I started a whole bunch of flowers in my bathroom and I actually did the whole like cold flower spring thing by Lisa Mason Ziegler. So I made like a little glow tunnel, I guess that's what you call it, over a, a row of of three beds that I have. So I planted all those out like the first week of April. And so I had some really fun spring flowers, you know, in June and then just all the summer stuff in July and August and then dahlias in September. And it just turned out to be a wonderful year. So that's like my little quick little how I got into flowers. I could go on and on. I guess it kind of started there. I love that story. And so much of us have been inspired by Florette. I have reached out to her to see if she'd ever join the podcast but you know she is the celebrity in the world so if anybody knows her she (laughs) should totally join the podcast because almost all of the stories I have shared have some connection back to Erin at Florette and she really created a movement in our world and for all the great reasons so being a potato farmer's daughter I 100% (laughs) appreciate the fact that you wanted to grow potatoes (laughs) thank you I appreciate Did you have the beetles? Were you successful? (laughs) I did have beetles, but I don't know if it was because of the flowers, but I, they kind of just stayed on the potatoes. They didn't really, I didn't see them anywhere else in the garden. And you know, once I noticed that they were there, I tried to be regular and sorry, squishing them. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what everybody else does with their potato beetles. I guess I did knock them into cups of soapy water as well. But yes, thankfully they didn't infest the rest of the garden. I have other pests to do that. Don't you worry. (laughs) Oh, let's talk about them because we all love to hear each other's woes. So what kind of pest are you dealing with there? And how have you kind of learned in this first year? Number one, what you have, but darling, I'm here to tell you, you have invited the whole county to your farm for next year and years to come. (laughs) It's like that first year, they don't know you're there. The second year, they're like, they told their friends. The third year, year they told their family and the fourth year they're telling the cousins and the cousins cousins (laughs) yeah that's like exactly what happened because I really didn't have much of a pest problem last year and it was actually kind of a droughty year so I thought they would be bad but I didn't really have much of anything but it was a much wetter year this year which is great for our ranch we needed it but um, we had horrible grasshoppers I mean horrible and I think part of that too is we didn't really have a late freeze like we usually do. I don't even think it froze all of May, which it usually does. And I mean, I usually don't plant anything till the first week of June because it usually frosts at least once or twice. But so they were just happy as can be. And I mean, I did the whole organza bags on the zinnias and dahlias, but they loved my dahlias. I mean, 
just, I had to guess where I thought a head of a dahlia was going to be because if there was even the slightest inkling that there was going to be a flower, they ate it. I mean, it was horrible. So I'm actually on the way here. I was thinking of and listening to some podcasts and kind of brainstorming some different things to try next year. I have looked into the whole Brex system. I don't know if you've heard of that. And I did water my plants a little bit with molasses, but I'm going to try like the concentrated topical molasses type stuff next year. I mean, I'm going to have to do something next year because I hardly had any dahlias that were useful. They just decimated those. And and I did have some damage with my other flowers, a little bit with my zinnias, but everything else was useful, but they love the dahlias. So that's the unfortunate part. But I also feel too, once you've created this ecosystem, the players come to play. Like (laughs) I have these random sunflowers and I am all about, I do not cull out any flower. It is a free flower (laughs) from God and it is there to stay. And it, those random sunflowers invited all these little finches. At first they were eating the seeds off the sunflowers, but then I've been seeing them in my beds they're down in the ground also and they're digging up the bugs and larvae so I yeah so there is I you know I'm not a scientist I didn't major in agriculture or anything like that so this is just me observing my space but I do feel that they do come and they do come help out so here's hoping Yes. So what is it like to grow in 4B? And you said that, you know, oftentimes you don't even have flowers and or you're not planting out until June. So that gives you a rather short window. And so mm-hmm. I'm just curious to know a little bit more about how you're starting your flowers when you're planting out and things that you've decided maybe aren't going to work for your area but just tell us a little bit more about what it's like to grow in a 4b zone it's very hard (laughs) um especially coming from like idaho and i i was gonna look and double check i think where i grew up it's it might be zone five but i think it's pretty close to zone six like you could you don't even have to dig up your dahlias there i don't think so so that is slightly challenging and i'm very much still learning a lot because like i said i've only been doing this for about two years but I don't know if you're into the Enneagram, but I'm an Enneagram five. So if I want to know something, I just research the heck out of it. <laughs> and that's basically what I did. I started following other um, farmers and flower farmers in similar zones as me. And, you know, I'm not afraid to ask questions. And 99% of the time, they were very open to answering any questions I had. When I came across Lisa Mason Ziegler's cold flower. I have to do that because otherwise I have like three months of flowers and that's just not enough for me. (laughs) So I bought her book and you know again Facebook groups are like the place to be. If you want to know anything about anything just get in a Facebook group. I learned so much about starting cold flowers in Facebook groups and so yeah I started flowers indoors the end of January and I did Lisa Mason Ziegler's soil blocking technique too. So with that said, I probably didn't need to start them quite that soon, but because it was, again, my first year even doing soil blocking, I was like, oh, I need some room for error. And of course they all did great. So then I was like, I had all these flowers that were like, we need to get outside right now. But I'm like, sorry, you got to wait like a whole month. So I had to deal with a little bit of that. So this coming year, I'm really going to try to be patient and not start stuff quite so soon because, you know, you got to find babysitters 
for your flowers that you start, especially that early. And one thing I ran into this winter starting flowers that early is we had an awful winter, like the worst winter this area has seen in like over 50 years. Um, Because we ranch, we would have to go stay with my mother-in-law for like days at a time to take care of the cattle on that end of the ranch. Well, I literally had to find a babysitter for my plants. And that sounds just as hard as it sounds. Like I had to take apart my whole light system and take it to that person's house, which it was my niece, thankfully. And I'd had to set it up there, you know, and then three days later, I'd come home and and move it back into my bathroom. I did that at least twice because we had at least two bad snowstorms where we had to leave the house. And so then I'm looking into like, well, maybe I should buy plugs. And so then I don't have to start quite so much inside. And so I did I've already bought some plugs for both this spring and summer, but you know, I still want to start some things because I don't need a whole tray of Bells of Ireland or something. (laughs) But I, I feel like in the next few years, I will transition into buying a lot more plugs because, well, one, I just don't have, you know, a whole lot of room in my bathroom (laughs) to start all the flowers I want to start and finding babysitters for them is kind of (laughs) a pain. (laughs) You bring up such an excellent point because that is true. There, uh, I fell in love with soil blocking thanks to Lisa and it was life changing for me. In my first year, I had bought, you know, trays and started everything in the trays and you know it just took up so much space and then I was introduced to Lisa and just dove straight in and I'm still to this day so impressed with Mm -hmm. how many flowers you can start via soil blocks yes they are very high maintenance you have to be on top of the watering and babying and like you said if you ever want to leave your house unfortunately you have to have a backup plan and that really sucks but I don't know It's so incredible to, you know, grow that many flowers in just a tiny bit of space. And most of us, I mean, let's be real, we're growing in our kitchens, our bathrooms, our guest bedrooms, like, and usually it's one to two racks. I feel like I was leader of the orchestra, like, (laughs) okay, seedlings, you get one more week and then I'm moving you outside because I need that heat mat space. So, (laughs) but it's, I don't know, I just feel too like the cost of, you know, starting your stuff from seed in the soil blocks is just significantly lower but there is a lot of labor involved and you just have to weigh the pros and cons for yourself if you've got a really intense other job or responsibilities you may have to make the best decision for you and so that's 100% okay. Yeah, exactly. I took a chance and just went all in with soil blocking. I don't even, I hardly use any of the plastic little holes because again, when I do something, I'm just like researching the heck out of it and going to do it 100%. And I was amazed at how many individual plants I could grow in this tiny little soil block. So very, very impressed by that. Yeah. And what I love mostly about soil blocking is when you get out to transplanting and that's usually the time of year when it's insane and there's so much on your plate it is so much easier to pull a soil block apart put it in the ground pull it apart put it in the ground whereas the trays you have to come up with some device to pop the ding plug out of the tray you cut your finger on the plastic don't get me started on having to store it my husband's like are you ever going to use these again I'm like they're there for a reason I bought them they will stay 
eventually I might use them. But I mean, in comparison to I bought uh, cafeteria trays, you know, I (laughs) this is the ongoing theme and joke in our family is, oh, we had hamburger for tonight. Save Rochelle the styrofoam (laughs) plate. (laughs) And so people would save me all of their garbage. And my husband's like, oh, my gosh. And I, so I still take everybody's garbage, but I love my cafeteria trays, yes. which only take up a tiny mit- amount of space. So again, mm-hmm. there's so many awesome advantages to it. And I'm team soil block. I absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah. And one other point too about soil blocking that I, I wanted to trust the process of planting smaller plants because it's just, I don't know why we have this mental game that we play. Like if the plant's not three feet tall, it's not going to do very good. And that is a lie. And so I forced myself to just plant the small plants and they just, they did amazing. Like this tiny little, you know, three inch tall zinnia plant gave me tons of blooms. So I, that was another thing I wanted to just really experience and like force myself to do this year was just the plant the little guys. They do well. It's crazy. And they probably do better than the bigger guys. You know, they just kind of acclimate quicker. And I don't know, they don't get blown over in the wind right away. You know, they can establish their roots. And then when the wind comes up, then they're like, we're good. <laughs> That is another excellent point because, yeah, like I had started Mahogany Splendor, their seedlings looked incredible. And then when I finally got them outside and I did the hardening off process, but when they got in the ground, oh man, they were not happy. And I lost like weeks of growth because they had to kind of die back. And I've experienced that with plugs too. You Mm -hmm. get them and you think you've won, but at the same time, all that growth dies off and new babies sprout up. Up. So it's yep. it's a learning process and you really don't know until you're like knee deep in it. You're like, hmm, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Well, and speaking of wind too, that was something else that I forgot to mention when you asked about growing in 4B. <laughs> That's probably like the one of the biggest issues is mainly where we live in western Nebraska. It's like rolling sand hills. So we get a lot of wind. And I mean, I just use the plastic netting. Tell us a little bit about the wind coming from Eastern Oregon. That's like springtime and I'd run, be running track and you would literally, it would blow you off the track and you'd be (laughs) pelted with sand. So not only do you have to deal with your flowers like wanting to blow over, but do you experience any damage to the blooms because they're being pelted with all the sand? Well, sand, thankfully, because it was a wetter year, we didn't have too much sand blowing but on a drouthy year, yeah, there's sand in the air for sure. And the main damage that I had this year was actually to my Cosmos, which by the time they blew over, they were kind of done anyway. And I'm probably not going to grow quite as many next year of those anyway. And then also I just did one row of netting for each row of flowers. And one thing I learned this year is that I think some flowers are going to need two. Just like they're so tall, you know, by the time they reach like their maximum height, like they almost need another thing of of netting. And also I might experiment too with more of the corralling method just with like some baling twine or something and see if that maybe works a little bit better like the dahlias some of them got so tall that the again the netting just was just too low on them and also I don't think I planted them quite as deep as I should have I actually just listened to a podcast right before 
I got on here with you about, you know, don't be afraid to plant your dahlias at least six inches deep. I know they might have growth on them, but just get them deep in the ground and that helps with them not like wanting to fall over. So that's definitely something I'm going to try to do different next year. Well, and if we could go back to the potato example, they're very (laughs) similar to a potato, you know, which we mound up with dirt. And so one of the farms around here, they, I mean, their, their mounds are huge. And I think there's some thought about irrigation through the tracks to between the different rows, but they mound those dahlias up and there's no netting, there's no support system in that field. So I think there's definitely a philosophy to really mounding up your dahlias so that that stem gets super strong as it's growing up through that huge mound of dirt. (laughs) So you have to experiment and then we'll have to touch base and see how successful you were. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, no, that's a great, I'll take any advice. (laughs) I know. Two, I feel like I'd love to hear more about your kind of official first year flower farming and Mm -hmm. what your experience has been. But, you know, as you're going through it, you can read all the books. You can look at YouTube. You can do all these things. But until you're really kind of there, your space is unique to you. And so, you know, I love how you mentioned being part of these Facebook groups that are specific to your zone. Even if they are like the gardening Facebooks, those Mm -hmm. people love love to share information and it can be so helpful but that's why you probably hear it from me so much about just try things because you're the only one that's grown in your space and you're evolving with all the seasons and so it's always good to just try it and if you fail you learn something and you move forward and you try it again (laughs) tell us a little bit about your experience in your first year and did you have any sales outlets that were successful for you or what are you kind of planning in this next season? Yeah, as far as trying stuff, I think it was one of your podcasts that you interviewed about, I can't remember her name, but she sounded so much like me. She must be an Enneagram 5 (laughs) because she just was talking about how like when she wants to try something, she just goes all out. And that was totally me. And it's a downfall at times. Like I wish I could just like dip my toes into flower farming. But no, I had to like go from three rows to like, I don't know, an eighth of an acre. I don't even know how large it is. But (laughs) so my stress level is slightly elevated. So I wouldn't recommend maybe doing that. But I did try. I mean, I had a lot of variety of different things because I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to hurry up and figure out like, what do I like? What grows well here? What doesn't? What do the people around here like? So then I can, you know, kind of hurry up and be this official flower farm. But it really doesn't matter how you do it. If you kind of go in slowly or fast, it it doesn't really matter. But I just had a feeling that people in my area were going to love these flowers because there aren't really any other flower farmers in my area. There's one other gal that's kind of just getting started. And then another gal that lives almost three hours away, we've become good friends. And I've learned a lot from her, but there's just not much in this area. So I was like, I have a feeling you sand hillers are just gonna love these flowers. And the response was amazing. Like I actually was blown away by how much they loved the flowers. And of course, the year starts off with tulips. And who doesn't love tulips? So that 
that really kind of got people like realizing kind of what I was doing. And, you know, I let them know, like, I'm going to have some more flowers here soon. And I kind of just, I didn't have, I really didn't have anything planned (laughs) as far as where I'm going to sell these flowers or anything, mainly because I didn't know if anything was going to live. I didn't know what was going to do well. So I, but once I started getting flowers, I was like, well, I better hurry up and figure something out. So some friends of mine own a clothing boutique in the town that's closest to us about an hour away and they let me sell basically like market bouquets in their shop and I had like a little QR code on the bucket so people just would scan the QR code and pay for as many bouquets as they wanted and then another town about 30 minutes away the gal that owns the coffee shop there she was like oh my gosh these flowers are amazing and she wanted to sell my flowers there so I kind of quickly got two spots to just kind of sell randomly but that quickly confirmed that next year I want to do subscriptions because just the whole like randomly cutting and selling flowers while while they did sell well it was kind of stressful like just knowing when I was going to deliver the bouquets there because it wasn't really regular it was kind of just like when I have flowers I cut them and made bouquets and but the response to buying those was great and so I'm very much going to do subscriptions I haven't figured out if you know how many spring you know, summer. I'm definitely doing fall and spring, but part of me wants to just like take the summer off and just sell wholesale and then just do spring and fall. So I haven't quite decided what I'm going to do. There is a florist that's bought some flowers from me. So I do have a a florist outlet, which is handy, especially when you have like extras or, or things like that too. So, you know, I was just chatting with another one of our flower farmer friends and her episode is on my docket, but she lives in a very small community. So you have to tell us how big your community is and kind of the demographics but her and I were talking a lot about how in these smaller communities you almost have an advantage because you're so far away from say a wholesaler or you know a market where folks can get flowers and truly enjoy them the way they enjoy flowers are oftentimes in their garden so for you raising these beautiful flowers it's like a treat and so you kind of have that advantage to your first to market and you have something different that folks really want to jump on. So I'd be curious to know what your community looks like, the demographics, and then you mentioned the florist in town, but how far away would be a wholesaler to you? Oftentimes these small town florists, they have to drive hours to a wholesale. So if they have a local farmer, that's like, yes, I made it because I don't have to drive six hours to the wholesaler. (laughs) And it's like a two day trip when you factor going there and coming back and so having more local flowers in these smaller communities where there is a need is incredible so chat more about your area and all the things yeah that's pretty much exactly how it is but our little town that we technically live in or what our address is is like population less than 50 probably (laughs) I mean super tiny the nearest like somewhat big town is um, Valentine Nebraska and that's about an hour east and that's population oh gosh if somebody from Valentine is listening I'm I'm sorry I think it's around 2000 and then Gordon Nebraska which is the other way west 30 miles west of us that's maybe 
between two and three thousand, I want to say too, give or take a thousand with both of those. So the florist that I talked to in Gordon, that was exactly what she said. She said that, you know, by the time you pay shipping and get these flowers, they're not really even always that great. So she was like, even if I can only buy flowers from you for three months out of the year, it's still worth it because then I don't have to pay shipping or drive. Because I think actually the nearest wholesale company to us is in like Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which is over five hours away. So yeah, (laughs) but we, so the County that we live in, um, is called Cherry County and it's the largest County in Nebraska, but it's the least populated. So there's actually more cows than there are people. (laughs) So yeah, lots of ranchers, teachers, that type of thing, just amazing, like small town community vibes. And yeah, I just was like, they're gonna love flowers. I know they are because we look at like brown grass for like eight months out of the year. So if I can get flowers to grow under my little, you know, low tunnel and have them ready by end of May, first part of June, that's like something that they have seen around here so it's very exciting to do that (laughs) and that's where I feel like in these heartland communities where there aren't a lot of options there is an opportunity for flower farmers to grow and flourish and I just hope I see lots more of them open up because also most likely you are an agricultural based community so they appreciate (laughs) and want to support local and so just like you said with your local florist you know that's a huge opportunity opportunity and the fact that she's just happy with you (laughs) supplying her for three months is incredible so I'm super excited for you Chelsea that's awesome oh thank you so with that all in mind as we're wrapping up this season which was technically your first year flower farming any words of advice that you'd like to share or experiences that you learn the most from and then also as we're transitioning into next season what are your hopes and dreams for next year gosh as far as advice goes. Um, I don't know if I'm the best one to take advice from because like I said, I tend to I call myself a serial hobbyist because I find like what I'm interested in and then I'm just like so focused on that, which can be helpful at times. But you know, in those Facebook groups, I see both sides of the spectrum. Some people are like, you know, just try a few things your first year, you know, then you can figure out what you like. But I pretty much did the opposite. (laughs) I just like grew a ton of stuff. And it was a lot of work, a lot. I loved it. It was a lot of work. But um, I think I quickly realized, like, I'm figuring out more of my long term plan quicker than maybe somebody who just kind of like slowly goes in it like I already know that in the next three to five years I want to focus more on like perennials like I'm planning over 45 peonies here in the next few weeks you know just things like that because I know that my back is not gonna appreciate planting all these annuals every single year (laughs) so just like honing in maybe on like more specific varieties and and kind of like I said doing subscriptions maybe like just spring and fall subscriptions and then like taking the summer off and just picking flowers for myself like that type of thing so yeah so the next few years um, I will be making changes but I still feel like you kind of have to like do all the things because otherwise you're not gonna know what you like and what you really need to do and it's an evolving process you may think that you like something one to two years but in the third year you're like nope I don't use 
it. It's not useful for me. I think it's an evolving process. I think we should not be so hard on ourselves. Don't get sucked into that comparison trap because you got to do you. You got to work <laughs> with what you got. And speaking of that, so you've got a lot going on. So you also <laughs> do your photography, but you're a mom and you guys are ranchers. So how do you juggle it all? How do you manage all those hats? Because ranching is a big commitment. It's a lot of work, you know, especially in the winter time. You got to keep those cattle alive. So how do you kind of manage it all? And I do want to say like, I think that's a great point about just giving yourself grace and focusing in on spring and fall. And then in the summertime, you know, focusing on those other pieces that you have. So how do you do it all? Definitely don't. (laughs) I, again, the whole like serial hobbyist thing. I'm like, Chelsea, you really need to like cut it back. Like stop liking so many things. Yeah. I don't really technically work full time on the ranch. My husband ranches with his mom and brother. I just am like this random like helper. Like if somebody gets stuck, I go get them unstuck. If they need parts from in town, I go do that, you know, and this is the first year that all of our kids are in school too. So this is kind of a new season for me as well, not having any kids at home. So I'm trying not to like do more things because that's where my brain goes. I need to just pull back of anything else. And then as far as like photography goes, my busiest season, I actually really don't do a whole lot of sessions throughout the year. Because again, our weather is just it doesn't even look that pretty around here till June. I hate to say that I love the sandals, but like, you know, leaves on the trees don't start to get really full until June. And um, so I do most uh, probably 75% of my photography work in the fall. And that's when the busiest time on the ranch is. And then that's when like all the garden and flower stuff is like all kind of happening and like stuff needs to be dug up. So um, I'm trying to figure out that part this year has really been busy. I thought about it all year. I was like, Chelsea falls coming. Are you prepared? And I thought I was and I am not I am just drowning in all of the things but that's another reason that I'm again just kind of focusing on like what subscriptions am I going to do simplifying in the next three to five years looking more towards perennials that type of thing and um, but you know it's all a learning curve and I'm learning a lot that's for sure now with your photography hat on have you thought about you know inviting people out to the farm to do like sessions or maybe exploring that option of agro-tourism is that something that your community would support or have you thought about that it's crossed our minds with other areas like um, hunting and um, like even bird watching is like kind of a really popular thing but that's probably not going to be something that we do anytime in the near future just you know with the whole like liability type stuff we're just not quite ready to do that and my acreage where I grow everything like it's right up against some like bright blue panels like it's it doesn't really look that pretty you know what I mean (laughs) like some I looked at some of the pictures of the bouquets that I took over the summer and I'm like those are so pretty but when you just look out there like it doesn't always look like what you would think a flower farm probably looks like but you know we're just over five miles from the highway and like I said we're an hour away from like the nearest large town and it's probably not something that at least that I'm not considering you know in the near future but 
you know, I never say never, I guess. Well, and you know, you're just in the beginning. So you you will learn, you'll find your flower people and they may be willing to drive, especially if, you know, folks are used to driving everywhere for everything. You may be a stop on the road to the grocery store. So yes, that said, what has, what is your favorite flower and which ones have you (laughs) learned that you will forever fire or at least for the moment fire? I was thinking about this favorite flower. It definitely changes with the year because I think in the summer, it's obviously like zinnias and dahlias. But I actually, if I did have to pick one, I would say Icelandic poppies. Not because they make great cut flowers. They last like a day (laughs) in the vase, maybe like three if you're really lucky. But I started a few from seed this winter and I got them to grow. And they were the very first thing that started blooming like out of all the flowers, maybe right after tulips. But I just was like so enamored by like, you just look at it and you're like, how is this a flower? This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It's like tissue paper, but on a flower, I don't understand. And the fact that I could get it to grow in like Antarctica, basically, I was like, this is amazing. So yeah, props to Icelandic poppies. You're amazing. Very hard to start from seed. Like my germination rate was horrible, but I got enough to get a few. <laughs> they are absolutely beautiful. But uh, yeah, like you said, they just have such a short base life. But I think another perk to them is they form a seed pod, which yeah. um, for you, they be a beautiful element photograph. And yeah. you know, there's always opportunities to generate revenue through selling your flower <laughs> pictures but then as you watch them evolve into a seed pod you can not only save them and harvest the seed off them but for dried material so I did a whole row of just kind of average uh, poppies and I'm like I don't know if I'll do that again but <laughs> I s- harvested all those seed pods and I've been using them in dried flower arrangements so yep. I'm like they self-seeded themselves and are already bro- growing back and blooming and I guess that's one thing is those drama queens if they have an afterlife to them then maybe they deserve their place (laughs) it's so true and you're a few steps ahead of me in regards to selling prints because my latest photo on my Instagram page is some film photos that I took of my spring Icelandic poppies and they turned out so amazing like a million times better than I thought and I was like I should probably like sell these for Christmas or something so that's on my list of things to do you know once things slow down of course and I just did my update and you know the process of like oh I have this idea but now I actually have to execute on it and navigating (laughs) all of the systems like where do I design it where do I get it printed how do I ship it how do I figure out putting it on my website I spent like I stayed up to like 2 a.m. working on my website last night. I'm like, but like yep. just as a business owner, having to figure out all that crap on your own is like the unappreciated task of being a business owner. But I mean, greeting cards, you could sell greeting cards on yep. Etsy, postcards. I mean, all those things. So like the opportunities are endless with flowers. And if you live in a small community and you're hours away from the next community, community, there might be things like that where you could sell it online and be really successful. So 
Yep, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So what about those flowers that you would fire? Well, um, so the first year that I grew flowers, my potato buffer flowers, I had a lot of straw flower and I loved it. It was like my workhorse, I guess, for that year. Like it did amazing. So I planted a bunch of it this year and it did horrible. I don't know. I'm to the point where I'm like, you know, space is very valuable. And if you're not even gonna, you know, pull your weight every year, I'm not sure I can (laughs) rely on you, but I love it so much. I probably should give it one more shot, but I don't know. I can't I'm going to encourage you you to not give up. Don't give up because (laughs) I really sucked at getting it to Germany and no, Number one, I think fresh seed and I put all of those kind of cool flowers when I first get the seed, I put them in the freezer and I swear that helps. But oh my gosh, probably my most profitable flower because you can do so much with it. So at the beginning of the season when the plant was so small, I would just have my kids go take the heads off and I have now rubber made totes full of straw flour that I can use you know I've been using them on the pumpkins I can use them through the winter time I could do them in various crafts and then as the plants got taller then I was able to harvest longer stems to dry and then you can use it fresh so don't give up don't give up (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm sure I'll probably grow it next year because you know I gotta do all the things and when I grew up my first year I planted it the first week of June because I didn't realize that it was technically a cool flower. So this year I planted it the first week of June thinking, well, it does okay in this area is more of like a summer flower. So maybe next year I should treat it more as a spring, you know, cold flower and see if, if it does any better because I'm with you. I love it, but dang, yeah. it did not do good at all this year. It, like the ants really ate at it this year. That's another, I don't, they don't bother anything else, but they loved the straw flowers. So if it's not grasshoppers, it's ants apparently. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I haven't heard the ant debate, but this is where straw flower I don't understand. It's labeled as a cool flower, but that thing was producing all season long. Like it's I still know. producing. So I don't I quite get that part on the cool flower, like Nigella. Like it's a cool flower. It starts early in the spring and it's done. But yep. the straw flower just have done, and I am in a very ideal uh, zone. So it lasted <laughs> yeah. all season for me. And I don't, do you ever do the milk jugs where you overwinter plants in the milk jugs? No, I haven't tried that yet. I saw some people just start really early in the milk jugs. So maybe that's something that I could try with the straw flowers. Well, in my first year, I did a lot of that where I just sprinkled (laughs) the seed and the milk jug left it outside. And those were my cool flowers. And then, you know, when it was time, I transitioned them into the field. And especially being in 4B, it might be an idea to at least explore and try and see if it works. Yeah, definitely. I'm open to any and all suggestions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, friend, I just really appreciate your time. Is there any a bit of advice or anybody that's inspired you or just anything else that you'd like to share with our audience? I feel like I probably haven't been doing this long enough to offer too much advice, but I feel like there is always room for flowers. So if you even kind of want to grow some flowers, just do it. I definitely used to be on the team of like, well, if you're going to grow stuff, it better be, you know, vegetables. Don't take up space with silly things that you can't even eat. But now I'm totally the other opposite end and I keep cutting out vegetables that are just taking up too much room in my flower garden. So I don't know, flowers just bring so much joy 
And man, they make me so happy. So grow all the flowers, I guess, the advice that I'll give. (laughs) And I don't care if you're in year zero, year one, year 20, you always have something to offer as advice. And I just encourage everybody to share their story and everybody has something to learn from each other. So don't discount yourself if you're a new (laughs) flower farmer because you probably are so knee deep in the learning curve that you have so much advice to offer. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even think about it that way. But man, I have so much stuff in my brain, I can't even process it right now. (laughs) Totally. And now that your kids are in school too, this is the opportunity where you take flowers with you to everything. And then (laughs) the moms will start to buy in and tell their friends and there's all the school activities like our kids are having a fall festival night and they bought pumpkins for me. So... There's opportunities there. It's really endless and in those smaller communities, just creating that network really helps. So been anybody who's inspired you that you'd like to give a shout out to? Obviously, Erin from Florette. I know we already talked about her, but I just love her heart for flowers and just like the cinematography of their show, like being a photographer. I just loved like the angles and the lighting and the color of it all. I was just so inspired fired by that and anybody who has answered any question from me on Instagram or a Facebook group seriously thank you like everything I know is probably from Facebook and Instagram and YouTube of course so go grow flowers because all the information's there and most people are very willing to help those are excellent points I feel like watching that documentary you fall in love with life And I think as flower farmers, we'll often get stuck in, well, I can't sell my product. Go back to that documentary, watch it, be inspired. And how can you sell that beauty, that lifestyle, the happiness? And folks will come. We all came, so. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Once you, and I think it was in her, I don't remember if it was season one or season two, because I just watched season one again. And I think she said somewhere in it, like, you know, once you start growing flowers, you you cannot go back. And it's so true. So be prepared, anybody who's listening to this. Once you start, just watch out. I don't know about you. I have learned over the years that I'm not going to beat myself up if I don't cut everything because I got into this because I loved flowers. And so especially like home gardeners, they should grow the flowers. But I always say you should enjoy them in your space and then you should buy the cut ones from me so you enjoy them in your home. So there's always a spin. (laughs) Exactly. And you know what? I traded flowers for vegetables this year because like I didn't have room to grow jalapenos. So I traded for that. And so I plan to do a lot more trading next year since I have to cut down on my vegetables. So, you know, there's room for both still. I'm up for trading if you're listening to this and want to grow some tomatoes for me. I got you covered with flowers. (laughs) That is an excellent point is, yep, there is that opportunity and an opportunity to collaborate if you're looking at CSAs. If you've got a friend that's growing vegetables and you're growing the flowers, be a prime time to start a CSA together. So... (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. Well, Chelsea, I just thank you so much for your time and sharing your story with us. And how can folks find you for inspiration or if they're local? How can they reach out to you to get your flowers, photography, and all the things? Yeah, I have all of my hobbies under one social media name, um, Prairie Through the Lens. And there's a period between each of those words. And I share mostly on Instagram. um, Although I will say as far as local stuff goes, I had as far as selling bouquets locally, Facebook is probably by far the best. I don't know why, just locally Facebook's better. (laughs) So I do both essentially. Prairie Through the Lens, Chelsea Moreland is my Facebook page and then just Prairie Through the Lens is my Instagram page. It's all on there. Photography, flowers, ranching, got a Persian cat. I mean all the things. It's just under one name because I cannot stand the thought of starting a separate Instagram for each thing that I'm into. So sorry if you're only into one of those things. I think that's great though. That's part of your story is all the things and people will buy into you because of it. So I am now officially stalking you because of your Persian cat. So (laughs) great. I'll make sure he makes more of an appearance here lately. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) Well, thanks again, Chelsea. We appreciate you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I just want to say thank you again to Chelsea for such a great conversation. I'm just really inspired by each and every one of you guys. Even if you live in a small community, it's something to really take into consideration if you're thinking about starting growing flowers and you can do it on a small scale to see if it's something that your community is interested in. But in a lot of these places where you're far away from a big city and there's not like a wholesaler for example that's close by, some of the florists in town would even be just happy with you providing them with flowers for say three months like Chelsea has experienced with her local florist. So I just really thank Chelsea for joining us on the podcast and sharing her story. There's been so many things that I've tucked away in my hat and I just hope that you enjoyed our combo and and thank you again, Chelsea. Well, take care, my friends, and we'll talk with you soon. Take care. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for joining in to the conversation and together all boats will rise and local flowers will be blooming fabulous in all of our communities. So if you are a fellow flower farmer that want to join in on the conversation, please reach out to us to get you scheduled for a podcast episode. And if you're just listening in and enjoy the podcast, please share with your friends, your family, and everybody you know. We really appreciate it. Thank you.